0: Kia Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details, you can find us at arisechurch.com. But right now, we're going to hear a message from myself, our Wellington Campus Pastor, Chris White. We really trust you'll enjoy today's message. So we've been in the middle of a series called Becoming Like Christ. And it's a, you know it's a great title. It sounds good. Uh, you know I I think becoming like Christ sounds like a really it's a great thing to do I mean Christ he was the savior of the world he was incredibly famous Uh, you know uh, there's no one mentioned more in literature and art and anyone else in the world than Jesus Christ you know this guy was doing miracles he walked on water literally he was the first guy to do that and uh, and many people followed him he had a big followership it's grown even since he's died you know, this is sounding like a guy I want to be like. You know what I mean? Uh, there's so many great things. about. I mean, sign me up if I'm going to get this kind of followership. Man, I want to become like Christ. It sounds amazing. But then on the other hand, you know, he was also persecuted. He was beaten, betrayed by a very close friend. Uh, you know, people lied about him. He was put on trial after trial after trial, and none of them were fair in any kind of manner. He would stretch to the limit, and eventually he was executed on a cross, And then he was famous for saying this thing, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So now I want to ask you the question, who wants to become like Christ? You know, there's one person over there. Good on you. Maybe maybe you didn't hear what I just said, but there we go. No, that's really, really good. I grew up in the Salvation Army, great church, great movement. Uh, the Salvation Army had great people there, very traditional church to grow up in. And we sung hymns, and I'm, I'm all for some good hymns. They, they go really, really well. Uh, and anyway, back on this day, somewhere in the 1990s, back when the world was in black and white, um, I was there, we were singing a song in the Salvation Army service, and it was at least 100 years old, at least 100 years old, written by an amazing guy called Richard Slater. And uh, he's written some great songs, but somehow I didn't think this song was really translating into that. You know, the 20th century. We're now in the 21st. It's just let you know, I've I've crossed a couple of millennium. And so anyway, <laughs> there we go. And, and the lyrics of this is the first time I ever sung it. We're singing this song to this jaunty little melody, which I can't remember for the life of me. Anyway, I looked up the lyrics the other day, and I'm singing the song. I'm looking around the room. I'm like, is anyone paying attention to these lyrics? You know, seriously, who wrote this, I thought. Here's, Here's the song. Like I say, I don't remember the melody. So it's like, in the fight, say, does your heart grow weary? Do you find your path is rough and thorny? And above the sky is dark and stormy? Never mind, Go on, goes on to say, lay aside all fear and all but pressing, bravely fight and God will give his blessing. Though the war at times may prove distressing, never mind, go on. And then the chorus is like rollicking, you know. Hey, you know. Honestly, I can't, I don't know what the other verses were, but it was like, it's like a Monty Python sketch, you know, for those of you seen my. Mon- It's like we're at the end of that movie, the famous movie, The Life of Brian, and everyone's being executed, and they're all on crosses singing, always look on the bright side of... Now, I'm seriously, I'm in the service, I'm going, is anyone paying attention to this? What, we go through this trial and struggle and we just whistle a happy tune and suddenly we're all feeling all good about it. It just, it just didn't make any sense to me. Didn't make any sense at all. Well, about three years ago, I got to do a Freedom in Christ course. And in actual fact, all of our staff did that course. And it's a, it's a great course written by someone else overseas. Many people all around the world have done this course. It's actually one of the many courses that we offer here in life groups. So can I just encourage you, if you're in a life group, and you are looking for some material, we have a whole host of courses that you can do. And other, in some campuses, we even have you know grow life groups that you can join temporarily just to do a course like this. And you get to do that, have amazing things happen in your life, and, and then you get to go back to your normal life group. And, and, and anyway, we did this particular course. And one of the things, you know, amongst many that this course strives to do is help identify maybe some lies that you've started to believe in your, in your life. Maybe things that sound close to the truth, but just aren't quite there. Uncover them. Help you identify them and help you overcome them. And I remember, I, in actual fact, I was sitting just over here. There was a group and we were, we were meeting together. We were discussing the session we'd just seen, going through it. And in that moment, God started to reveal some things to me started to reveal some lies I had in my mind. I remember the moment distinctly. Everyone had just finished talking. We had a break, and it was just like God put the spotlight on. And I suddenly worked out something that I was starting to believe, and it was this, that by following God and His Word, I would end up with more struggle, stress, and pain. I believed that by listening to God's instructions to me and obeying them, I would have more oppression in my life. Life would overall be harder, and I would slowly but surely lose all my joy. Somehow that it got into my thinking. And I don't know how it happened, but slowly but surely, I don't know, like over time, you're going through life, you hit some trials, some struggles, you get tired. Maybe you don't see where the end of the road is and you figure this is all there is. Maybe this is my lot. Maybe this is what I'm all about. And you realize that every step that God pushes you into is a hard step. You're like, well, how do I carry on with this? And then somehow... It takes root in your life. And just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the enemy comes in and he whispers a little half-truth, maybe a little doubt, maybe a little fear. And somehow it had taken root in my life. And now in this moment, I'm sitting there, the spotlight had come on and I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I'm starting to believe. And I was on the verge of this, changing my life decisions, my big life decisions. And God showed that, that thing to me. The crazy thing about about it is this, even though he'd given me a revelation in my mind, I'm sitting there and I think, I still believe it in my heart. So what was the antidote? Well, over this course, they encourage you to grab a whole bunch of scriptures around that the real truth of God's Word. Start to confess that in your life, and in a concerted effort, and slowly and surely God would start to transform your mind and your heart, and He'd give you a new purpose. Today, I wanted to just look at five of those things. Is that alright? Can I, we just look at five of those things? So today... We're going to look at that, and the title of our message is this, laying down our lives is not the end of the story. Laying down our lives is not the end of the story, and I believe God's going to move powerfully. Can we pray? God, I just thank you that your word is true, and Lord, I thank you that the truth will set us free. So Lord, I'm praying today, let your truth come in, let it set us free. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, point number one is this, when we lay down our lives, it produces fruit in our lives. It produces fruit. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we nail our old passions, our old desires to that cross. We do that. But that's not the end of the story. Because the next part of the story is that God starts to produce fruit in our lives. He start, these are character traits that are gold. Honestly, these are incredible character traits. We just read a whole list. But if all of those things were, were present in fullness in your life, you would be an am- amazing candidate for any, any opportunity. Man, these are employable skills, you know? Uh, you know. Any team leader would love to have a person with those character traits on their team. You know, the fascinating thing is I've been noticing that more and more high-performance teams look now to character and fit, not just raw skill talent. Uh, because they recognize that your character will travel you further than just raw talent. And that's the amazing, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to sell this to you. I'm just saying, here is an inevitability of laying your life down. If you lay your life down for God, He will produce that kind of fruit in your life. This is, this is good. Number two, we, when we lay down our lives, number two, it brings pleasure, goodness, and joy into our lives. So contrary to what I was believing, in fact, the opposite is true. We're going to look at Romans 12 verse 2. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Maybe you brushed over it. But what it says is, as your mind is transformed, as you submit to God and allow Him to come and transform your mind, He is going to bring about His will. And what is His will? It is good. It is pleasing to you. And it brings His perfection into your life. I don't know, those are three things that I really want to have in my life. Uh, Psalm 1611, another great verse says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. To follow Christ in this verse is described as a path of life. A path of life. I don't know if you've ever been, had some sort of opportunity and maybe on the surface it looks amazing. This is a great opportunity, but no matter what you do, no matter how you tackle it, it always just seems to drain you. You know, whether you've ever been in a, in a moment like that. I remember I took up an opportunity a few years ago uh, in another organization take up some sort of leadership opportunity there on the surface. It looked great. You know, people even thanked me for doing this. I did it for, you know, a few years And, you know, people will encourage you, thank you. You know, it looks like you got the right skills to do this. But I couldn't deny every time I was involved in it, it would just suck the life out of me. And I'm like, why am I here? What am? Why am I doing this? You know, uh, but this verse is saying. This verse is saying, when you follow God, the opposite happens. It says, in actual fact, it is life to you. When you step into His plan and His pathway, life pours into you. It flows into you. It absolutely transforms you. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said these famous words: "Come to me." All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've mentioned this one, before, one, one once before in a, in a message, but it's worth repeating. Uh, that, that word for yoke. Uh, It's not commonly used. I mean, unless you're a farmer, uh, not commonly used. A yoke is like a wooden beam that links two animals together, typically oxen that are going to pull a load. So the yoke represents your burden. It represents your workload. It represents the resistance that's against you. And it also ties two beasts together, two animals together. And here Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. So what's he saying? He's saying, hey, I'm attached to one end. You're attached to the other end. Put my yoke upon you, you know, and we will pull together. Like the worst case scenario is to just take that yoke upon yourself. In actual fact, one step worse than that, why don't you take the enemy's yoke upon you? Because the enemy will have yokes that sound so good. They actually sound like they're right. what's What's one of those examples? Take my yoke upon you when the enemy is saying to you, hey, make sure you have it all together. Have it all together. That's a yoke that you could put on your life. Why? Because it sounds responsible. I need to just have it all together. I need to be responsible for my stuff. You know, I don't think the word of God ever says, make sure you always have it all together. You know, But we could put that on our shoulders. Or how about this one? Don't let anybody down. Don't Again, that sounds responsible. I shouldn't let anybody down. But that's not our yoke. That's not God's yoke. That's the enemy's yoke that he puts on our shoulders. That if you, you put this on you, man, this will be something to live your life by. But that will be more of a burden than you can bear. Perhaps there's other, other yokes that you've got on, you know, on your shoulders. Like, hey, I have to be the one in my family that gets to university. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Or I can, I've got to prove my dad that, I'm, that I can make it on my own. Man, these are yokes that, that sound good in one sense. But in actual fact, they're never the yokes that God asked us to carry. But what he does, he says, take my yoke upon you. And then what he does, he's standing side beside us. And we're like, yeah, God, we're in this together. You and me, you know, the creator of the universe, and you got my help here. And together, we're going to do an amazing job. And then what do you do? You start pushing. You start pushing. And the first thing you feel is resistance. But you keep going, and you keep going. And then you look back behind you and realize, man, you and I, we just plowed this field together. Yeah, you really needed my help, but we're doing a good job right now. You know what I mean? And and that's what God is saying. Put my yoke upon you. It is life to us. It's life to us. In Psalm 16:11, it continues and it says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may not feel that in the beginning because in the first stages, all you feel is the resistance. All you feel is the pull on your shoulders. But it comes. After a long time, it comes. Laying down our lives is not the end of the story. Lamentations chapter three. I love the fact that we get encouraged from a book called Lamentations. How good is that? How good is that? Lamentations chapter 3, starting at verse 22, says this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for their salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Once again, it talks about his yoke, but now it's his yoke of his discipline. What does this mean? He's gonna smack us around? No, that's actually not what it means here. What it means here, that that word discipline is more about as a steadfast mind, not wavering to the right or to the left. We continue on that pathway. We are disciplined, we're stuck on that pathway. From the word discipline comes the word disciple. And Eugene Peterson describes a disciple like this, a long obedience in the same direction. A long, we just carry on. We just keep plowing that field. Long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. Point number three, when we take up our cross, it keeps us centered in God's love. Amen. Centered in God's love. Yeah. John 15 verse 10 says this, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, what it doesn't mean here is if you disobey my commandments, then I no longer love you. That's not what it says. Any great parent can tell you that, you know? Your child could do all sorts of things. They could misbehave. They could disappoint you. They can make you feel incredibly angry. But through it all, you will never stop loving them. That's just how it is. Any great parent knows that. Even more so for God, he will never stop loving you. But he says, remain in my love. What does that word remain mean? It means to stay, to live, to dwell, abide, be in a state that begins and continues. It's that love and being in that state that fills us with joy. Man, husbands will understand this. Husbands will not that one time when you got it right with your wife, that, that time when you know I, I did it, I, I finally I got it right. When she comes home, she's upset. She's telling you all these things, and you don't try and solve her problems. You just empathise with her. It must be so hard to feel like that. And suddenly you realise you got it right in that moment, you know. Or that night that maybe you know you're, you're hanging out with your wife, and you've got big plans, and your friends ring up. Hey, we've got free tickets to the rugby tonight. And you're like, oh, we're all going to be there. We're just waiting for you. You're like, yeah, well, tonight, tonight, we're going to stay home and we're going to scrapbook together. And, uh, and we just, we're just going to do that tonight, you know. And, and, and you know that that night you got it right. And scrapbooking night was never as good as that night then. But, uh, you know, it was a great night. Why? Because uh, you don't know if you're more proud of the fact that you made the right choice or suddenly now you've opened up this Whole new world with you know, with your spouse, and in and, and, and and an odd kind of way, don't think about that too closely. In an odd kind of way, <laughs> it's kind of the same with God, you know, when we abide in His love, when we recognize, you know, I, I, I'm actually pleasing your heart, we recognize there's this mutual love and affection, and we realize, This God, this is what you've called me to. This relationship right here, this is what it's all about. And number four, when we take up our cross we attract God's blessing. This is a really powerful, this is a really powerful uh, scripture here. James 1.25 says this, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The amazing thing is as soon as you step into God's word and you obey what he says, then all of heaven takes notice and you start to attract the blessing of God. You start to attract it. Have you ever met those people like, like, uh, you know, you seem to work hard at everything and never quite get there. And they seem to never put any effort in and just somehow fall on their feet. You know, you know those people. Everyone knows those sorts of people, you know. They just like never try, but somehow they get there. Uh, This story is very loosely related to that, but I'm going to tell it because it's a good story anyway. And um, (laughs) there was a time back in the day when uh, our church office used to be in the city in, in Wellington. And, uh, and uh, one time, there was a break-in, and uh, uh, a bunch of us used to ride bikes to work, and one of the guys got their bike stolen. So Ben Carroll had his bike stolen, and it was, it was you know, it's never a good thing, you know, you, you know, to try and fork out money to replace a bike. You, you just don't have that kind of sitting around, and, and they, really, the police had no leads to go on. No one had seen it. We didn't really know what had happened. We didn't know why they could get in, but they got in and stole his bike, and I remember it was about a week or so later, and I'm in a cafe in the heart of Wellington, just opposite the Michael Fowler Center, one of those cafes with, you know, glass windows all around. And I'm sitting with one other guy. Just so happens that one other guy uh, had, had seen Ben Carroll's bikes once, literally once. It might have been months ago. It may have even been over a year ago. And we're sitting there in the cafe. He's asking me, oh, do you have his bike?" on? I said, yeah, It was a bit of a bad one. We're chatting away. And he goes, oh, is that his bike there? Someone just walks by and goes, oh my gosh, yes it is. And I get up out of my chair and I'm running out the cafe now and sprinting down the road. And I'm like, I'm not a confrontational guy. What's going to happen when I meet this guy, you know? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. What if he does me over? Like, I'll probably won't catch up to him. Oh, look, I caught up to him. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm in front of him. Hey, buddy, how's it going? You know, trying to be all casual. Like, <sighs> you know, how's it going? Uh, and, then, and then I'm just chatting to him about the bike, discreetly trying to pull my phone out to take a photo of him and the bike, just in case my body is found in a gutter later on that day. And then they'll know, he found the bike, you know, uh, you know, anyway, and I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I just, I don't know how I did I managed to convince him, let's just go and take it to the police station, shall we? Let's just do that. So we convinced him to do that. You know, we let Ben Carroll know, and, uh, and you know, he gets his bike back. And so, so there's this chatter going on in our staff chat, we had the staff chat, and um, my wife pipes in, and she goes, oh, that's so typical of Chris. I'm like... <laughs> how is that typical of me, you know? He always just ends up landing on his feet, being in the right place at the right time, you know? That's, that's the kind of guy he is. And I'm like, really, is that me? No, I'm not saying that's me. I'm just not saying I'm not the example here. Maybe I've got a thing for bikes. I don't know. If you've got a, if you've got a lost bike, send me a photo. I'll see what I can do. Um, we'll go from there. But, you know... But I think the real, the real point I want to make is, is uh, We don't need God's luck in our life We don't need uh, like any kind of luck in our life We actually need blessing And if you step on God's Word If you just do what God says Then immediately, without a doubt You attract God's blessing Why? Because God is true to His Word He says you do that You put your foot there You stand on that ground Then I'm immediately going to bring blessing your way That's a great that's, that's worthy of praise that point right there Thank you God Point number five, point number five, when we take up our cross, it brings us hope in the face of storms. Hope in the face of storms. Matthew 7 says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. The truth is that you are going to build your life and build your house, and it looks good on that sand. Man, that's where you get the best Instagram pictures, you know what I mean? Let's go there. Everyone's here. Malibu Beach is on the sand. Surely that's a good example for us all, you know what I mean? Like, and yet you know that God's calling you to build here, and the view maybe is not quite as good, but this is what you choose to build. And then when that storm comes, you are so incredibly grateful. Because you realize, man, that storm was stronger than I thought it was going to be. It has hit hard. And those houses on the sand you're seeing are now washing away. But somehow, because you chose to build your life on the bedrock of God's Word, your life still stands. It's battered, it's battered, but it still stands. Come on, let's give God praise for for His goodness. Psalm 23 is an incredibly famous psalm. I would say the most famous psalm. And, uh, and, you know, if you've been a Christian for long enough, you'll have seen Psalm 23 embroidered in some cushion in some old folks' home. I don't know. You'll see it on the walls of a secondhand store. It'll be there in some sickly sweet, you know, watercolour picture in the background. And someone's handwritten Psalm 23 on the outside of it. And it's, you know, if you read it in a soft lullaby voice, it sounds beautiful all the way through. But can I tell you, Psalm 23, it's gritty. It's vivid. It's a robust psalm, if I can use the word robust Someone needs to produce a stamp, and let's use that word more often, but robust, robust. And I want to read it to you, um, because this is so powerful. It's an incredible picture of what God does with our life when we submit our life to Him, when we take up our cross and follow Him. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Cue the keyboard. How about that? You guys feeling it? Man, you know why it's embroidered on on, on many things. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Now the picture changes. In other translations it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, I want you to bear in mind, the rod and the staff is what the shepherd uses to guide his sheep. I don't know how you, if this changes your theology, but from what I read here, the shepherd has actually guided the sheep into this darkest valley. And maybe that's not what you expected. Some of us expect when we give our lives to God, He'll just direct our lives into everything that's sweetness and light. But God actually sometimes directs us into dark valleys. But this is what the writer says. Because he says, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. So even though you're walking through that valley, God is there to protect you and to comfort you. Never let go of that. Never let go of that. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Man, that's a crazy picture. So here he is, God has done this other crazy thing. He's laid out this feast. Feast is like, it's like extravagant. This is opulent. This is like no holds barred. You know, this is like, you know, a hospitality on steroids. You come to a feast, you're sitting at this table and who's there? Well, your enemies are there. That's an odd picture. God's saying in the face of your enemies, because they are all surrounding you right now, I've laid out a feast for you. I've prepared a table for you. I provide everything you need and more. Man, I'm not taking you out of line of your enemies. You're actually facing right in front of them right now. But I'm with you every step of the way. You follow me, you'll face your enemies. But I'll give you what you need to get through your enemies. Man, that's the great thing about God. Because when we lay down a life, it's not the end of the story. Man, that's only the beginning of the story. God's saying, I'll face your enemies. Anoint your head with oil. Man, the anointing oil, there's so many symbolisms for that. Anointing is something when it becomes sacred. God's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm placing my mark on you. You're going to stand out, sacred. It's also a symbol of healing. You know, anointing oil is used when someone is sick or injured. They're anointed for medicinal purposes. Hey, you might be injured in this battle. Man, I'm anointing your head with oil. I'm bringing honour to you. I'm bringing just what you need. And it goes on to say, my cup overflows with blessing." Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. Man, this is the, that's the goal of what God's wanting, that you will live in His house forever. His design is that you and I, we have relationship together. We do this together. I believe in you. You believe in me too. And maybe some people here in this room, you felt like God was just a slave driver. Oh yeah, God wants me to follow Him, lay down my life, so everything's just going to help Him out. Maybe He's some, you know, narcissistic leader. It's all about me, and you. You might even think, well, isn't it all about God? Well, I tell you what, He wants you to lay down your life for Him, but He has already laid down His His firstborn son for you. He's laid it all out for you. That's what He's saying. This is an exchange. We're together on this. You lay your life down for me and you'll experience things you've never thought you would have experienced before. Can we just stand to our feet in this room? I just want to take a moment to honour an amazing couple in our church family. Jeff and Gillian Clark. And uh, and they're part of, uh, sadly, Jeff has passed away a few years ago, but Gillian is part of our Podidore congregation. And, And I remember the first time I heard about these guys coming to the church and they, they said to people, hey, it's we three that are here. And what were they referring to? Jeff, Jillian, and their son, David. They had other children as well. But David, when he was born, he was born with uh, particularly you know, acute medical problems. He had spina bifida. He was a paraplegic. He had limited use of his arms. Many, many other medical conditions that were going on. And early on in their parenting, they realised Well, they made a decision. We are here for our son for all of his days. We're going to make his his journey as as fulfilling as possible, and they were dedicated to that. A couple weeks ago, I went and and uh, caught up with Jillian at the uh, you know gathering gathering, and she challenged me. You know, she knew that we had medical issues with our son, nothing like what she experienced, and she told me straight. She said, "You may not want to hear this, but..." This journey can be incredibly tough. It was physically exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting for us. But I can tell you this, it bore more rewards and more fruit in our life than I would ever dare to dream or imagine. And I might not even experience all the rewards in this life. I might not get to receive them until I'm in the next life. You don't know what God's building in your character. You don't know what God's building in your life. Now I've spoken about all these benefits we had. Of, have of you know, following God in the here and now. But we may not experience those benefits in the here and now. Can I just pull that rug up from under your feet right now? We may not experience that until we're in the next life. Jeff Clark was dedicated to a son. He had no idea that the legacy he was leaving would impact my life. He didn't know that. He'll know it now. He didn't know that then. For some of you, your parents, you're called to be parents. You're called to give the gift of legacy. You may never know what you're laying down your life. You will never see the full results of what you're laying down your life for. But God has called you to it. Because when you lay down your life, it's not the end of the story. Now His power come is in work in that example as well. Some of you are called to business. I gotta tell you this, do not let go of what God's called you to. You may experience setback after setback after setback. might feel like a dark valley. But if God's called you to it, then look for His grace in it. Look for His grace in it. He's there for you. He's there for you. Right now, I'm just going to invite us. We're going to sing together. We're going to offer God our lives. But in light of all this, what can you do? What can you do? Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Man, that's what we can do. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Some of you feel like your calling's run out. No, 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 no. It's still going. My gosh, Moses was 80 when he really started the real calling of God in his life. Some of you here haven't even got close to 70 yet. You know what I mean? My gosh, you're still young. God is on, on the move constantly in our lives. He's got more for you if we lay down our lives. Can we lift our hands? We're gonna, we're gonna reach out to God and God's gonna speak to you in this moment. God, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, that You are a shepherd to our lives. God, also You fill our life with supernatural ability that we would never be able to do on our own. Lord God, as we lay our life down for You, we declare that You are our God. You're our shepherd. You protect us. You comfort us. And God, You do what we could never do. You add the Holy Spirit's power to our life. God, You lift us up. You take what we have now and You make it a pleasant offering to You and You do the supernatural with it. God, we thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit arisechurch.com. Matiwa, see you soon.